Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Um, and if, you know, let's do one that's fun. Um, what vegetable would most describe who you are? Yeah. What vegetable? Okay. Uh, my well, name's Kevin. You can start with what you do know. You know, your name okay, is... Okay, yeah. what I do know. All right. Yeah. I'll be subconscious to thinking about my vegetable. Uh, <laughs> I am Kevin. Uh, I am our biblical formation pastor. Uh, I oversee what are called learning spaces in our church. Uh, learning spaces are spaces in our church during the week where learning is primary. So we have a Bible study where we go... Right now we're going through Exodus. And then we also have classes that equip um, our people to more faithfully follow Jesus uh, in various ways. So right now it's our Bible Jesus class on Tuesday nights taught by this guy over here. Uh, he'll introduce himself. And then we also have a mission with Jesus class equipping people to share their faith. And if I were a vegetable, I would be, I guess I'm going with the way I look. I mean, however you interpret that question, man, you know? I mean, a carrot? <laughs> I'm like long and slender. That's the one you went with. Celery? <laughs> Anything long I feel like and slender. My, okay, yeah. I feel like broccoli, maybe. Never, never mind. I'm, I'm broccoli? For, I'm, not for you. I'm speaking for Brady now. I'm, I'm sorry. I was I'm thinking broccoli if I had like a fro let's just, let, let's just go with carrot. I like right. it. You carrot top. Carrot. Yeah. <laughs> follow, follow that up. Man, I don't know. Um, hi, I'm Jen. I serve here on the Young Adults team, um, so I hope a lot of you know me. If you don't, I would love to meet you, so come up and say hello. Uh, and, man, this vegetable question. <laughs> I actually really love a lot of vegetables, so do I go with, like, my favorite, or do I go... I, I, oh, no. I got food for them today, and I literally think... yours was just all vegetables. <laughs> it was all vegetables. It was my order for Fresh Kitchen. Four vegetables, no protein. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to go with sweet potato. Mm. One, because I love... Is it, what is it? Is it oh, <laughs> you never know. I feel like sometimes vegetables are fruits. It's too tasty to be a vegetable. <laughs> it is so tasty. That's why I'm picking it. Yeah, somebody guess it. Oh, yeah, it is a vegetable, and it kind of grows, it grows underground. I don't know if that says anything about me or not. <laughs> I'm a little quiet. I think I'm, I'm sweet. I don't know. <laughs> but I like growing. If you look at a vine of a sweet potato, it's very long and grows, it keeps going. So I don't know. Maybe there's no deeper meaning there. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I don't know. It's great. I feel like that's what we should explore tonight. Yeah. The, the sweet potato plant and its connection yeah. to Jen and her personality. I love this. Uh, my name is Brady. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. I, I get to serve as a staff care pastor, um, which is, man, I, I love my job. I love what I get to do. And vegetable, uh, what's, what was the, uh, the veggie tail one that he's, he, he's saying about his, where was his hairbrush? I've, ju I've just got... The cucumber. So I'd be a cucumber because I just got introduced to a hairbrush and they're they're fantastic. Yeah. So you like yeah. just got introduced? Yeah, I mean I just didn't do anything with it until just recently. Jen was like, you know, maybe you know. Jen my wife, not this Jen, Kevin's wife. A different Jen, yeah. Thank you. It's kind of you. Yeah. The end. The end. I love it. All right. Um, my, what's mine? Uh, 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 cherry tomato. Yeah, that's it. I, I don't gotta unpack anything. I just said what I am. I'm a cherry tomato. I'm red, I guess, kind of. I'm small, smaller than the average tomato. <laughs> you know, packed with nutrients. You know, I can be put in anything. Let's go. You know. Dang, no, it's not. Well, I'm a. Anyway, so let's talk about. Uh, let's talk about what we're going to talk about tonight. And so the topic uh, for this evening is deconstruction. Deconstructing. 
deconstruction. Wow, I should do this. Deconstructing. And primarily about how it relates to um, deconstructing your faith. And so now this is a topic that uh, maybe not all of you have gone through or have been uh, exposed to necessarily, uh, but you might have a friend who is going through that. I mean, if you've watched enough TikTok videos or uh, seen enough YouTube videos, um, deconstructing your faith seems to be a pretty popular activity um, for, for Christians in terms of those who unfortunately do sometimes end up walking away from the faith. Um, but uh, as we've talked as a group and as we've done our own studying, um, deconstructing is not something that necessarily like, just, well, no, it's not necessarily, it doesn't just happen overnight. It's not like someone wakes up and be like, ah, you know, I don't really like, I don't really like Jesus right now anymore. So I'm out. It's usually something that happens over time. And so we wanted to have the questions and, and the conversation on navigating about not just deconstructing as what it means to challenge or question Christianity, but, but what do you do with those questions of faith, of doubt, of fear, um, so that your faith would become stronger and not that you would walk away from the faith. And so I think just to start off, um, and anyone that's open to anyone who wants to start off this one, um, what is meant by the term deconstruct, deconstruction in the context of the Christian faith? Any one of y'all can jump in. I'll get this Come on, popped Gary. off. Um, so deconstruction, what we mean is, I mean, in the literal sense, uh, in case you've never heard the word before, deconstructing is, like breaking down something that was constructed. So if I have, I told my boys, hey, go deconstruct your Lego set. Uh, they would break it down. And so, but in the context of the Christian faith, it's taking constructed beliefs and breaking them down. And um, there are kind of two uh, ways that we could look at it. One is, can be healthy, uh, is looking at why do I believe what I believe? And what's, what's cultural, what's not held up by biblical truth. Um, and going back to, you know, what, what does the Bible actually teach? That's healthy uh, to investigate why do I believe what I believe. And then there's also, there can be like a negative angle to it where I, uh, which we're going to unpack more uh, in our conversation here is I am um, totally abandoning everything um, regarding belief in uh, scripture and in, in Christ and what the church has taught me. Uh, and there's various reasons for that. And so uh, I'm gonna do that away from the community of the faith and I'm going to basically walk away. And so I think we'll unpack more of that. So if you guys wanna add more to that. I hear you're good at breaking it down. Is that break? No? Okay. Because you did it. You know, one thing I think that's easy to do when we, when we think about deconstruction and kind of the way that our world and our society, our culture works is it's pretty easy to lob bombs over there when you're not worried about your own building, your own, what you've got going on. Uh, it's easy to kind of throw stones and bombs at other people's ways of thinking, other people's ways of living. And you see that a lot in social media. You just see people just kind of throw a bomb out there and just kind of like, see what happens, you know? And, and I think when it comes to your own life, um, it's important to have some sort of foundation it's important to have something to stand on. And as you go through, as Kevin said, I think, I think it, there's healthy questions to ask. Um, there's healthy deconstruction that can happen, but it's important that at some point you're gonna have to build something. At something, you're gonna have to have some sort of worldview. At some point, you're gonna have to believe in something. And if you look at many of the philosophies out there in the world, they have a very shaky foundation. They seem pretty good, you know, a couple questions in, but if you dig deeper, uh, their foundation isn't so solid. Hmm. Hmm. Sure. Uh, yeah, I would just kind of reemphasize the idea that I think right now the word deconstruction is, I think we hear it and we there's fear attached to it and we associate it instantly with negative. Um, and I think that what was mentioned too is that there can be kind of two sides to it. It is, there can be good 
deconstruction in there can be bad. And I think it really comes down to this heart motive. Like, what's our motive in it? Like, are we deconstructing to with the motive to know Jesus? Because sometimes we actually need to deconstruct. Like, what are we believing that is not Jesus? Like, what where I've let culture kind of infiltrate my mind, and I've kind of who Jesus is. And so there's a good deconstruction there when our heart and our motive is to actually know Jesus more and be and align ourselves more to who he is. And then there's the bad deconstruction where maybe it's more, if we're truly honest, the, the, the motive is ourself. And it's where <clears throat> it's because we want to bend God to our desire and what we want rather than bending towards him. And so it's, it's two, it can be two things. And I think it's, we have to look inside ourselves and see like, where, where am I at? Is it, am I, if I'm somebody that feels like I'm deconstructing, which path am I going down here? You know, Hmm. um, but yeah, come on. That's good. (laughs) Amen, sister. Let's go. That's good. (laughs) And so I've loved how you guys unpacked it. And, and, and Jen, to just kind of speak to what you're starting to get at is, is the motive, motivation behind this process of breaking down what I've built up in my head or what I've been handed down. And so in one sense, the good kind of deconstruction it comes from my desire to know Jesus more deeply, to know him more purely, to know him independent of, of these other sources of information. Um, but the bad ones come from a different kind of motivation. And so speaking to motivations, I, I, would, I would be curious, because like, like I said before, like no one just wakes up in the morning and decides, today's the day where I walk away. Like if anything, when I've talked to people who have deconstructed or are in the process of deconstruction, they sound more afraid or scared than they do excited. They're not like, man, so glad Jesus was fake this whole time. So now I get to do something different, but more of, I don't know what to believe anymore. And so what, what do you think contributes to the beginning process um, of deconstruction? What, what leads somebody who once claimed faith in Jesus to then be in question of all of that now? I think the the wise parable of the three little pigs um, can be helpful. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but at one point there were there were three pigs, and they all decided they wanted to build a house. And one built their house out of straw. One built his or her house out of sticks, and one built his or her house out of bricks. And then along comes a big big bad wolf. And then he, you know, for some, I don't know why, I don't know what it is. That, I don't know why, why a wolf and why breathing on houses? I don't know what the connection is, but he thought he should breathe their house down. And so, you know, the straw house came tumbling, tumbling down and then the, the house made of sticks came tumbling down, but the house of bricks, you know, stood strong. And, and the reason that I even say that is because like there's reason behind why you might build a house out of straw. Right, I mean, it's it, it's fast. If there aren't you know wolves with it, like a big lung capacity hanging around, like it will give you it will give you shelter, right? I mean, it'll, it'll kind of do the trick. It, straw doesn't cost a lot. It, same thing with sticks, very similar deal. Um, you know, it might be a little bit more difficult. It's going to be a little bit more sturdy. Uh, it might cost a little bit more. But bricks, bricks are super expensive. Brick houses take a long time to build. It, a lot of sweat equity goes into that. Like you're pouring a lot into it. And when you think about your faith, oh, one of my favorite books is uh, from C.S. Lewis. It's his journal after his wife passed away and it's called A Grief Observed. And he, and he goes through this um, process of explaining like what he's going through emotionally and what he's thinking about in his mind. And then there's one chapter where he talks about how he feels like he had built up his faith like this stack of cards and God just knocked it over. And he was just so angry and frustrated with God. And he come, comes back later in the next chapter and he says, well, 
if my faith was a stack of cards, then I'm actually glad that God knocked it over because I don't want a stack of cards faith. Mm. I want a secure faith that is built on a solid foundation, is built with really good, sturdy material. Mm. And I think that can kind of be helpful as you talk about what might set someone up for some unhealthy deconstruction. Uh, I, I made a couple notes, four kind of buckets that I might put things in. One is when you have answers without a foundation. So a lot of times it's really easy and it's nice to just have a bunch of answers mm. to, to questions. So, so if someone has a deep question, if you've got one or two answers that are, that are real quick, it, it, it's kind of nice and, and it feels good and you feel kind of safe and secure. But if there's no foundation underneath it, it's going to crumble. Like if you haven't done the work um, to really think through and come to why this answer is a good answer, it's easy to get knocked over. I think um, answers without wrestle. It's another bucket I might put something in. If you haven't really wrestled with the deep, difficult questions that are underneath these answers, questions of, if God is good, why is there evil? Question of why is there suffering in this world? Question of the atrocities that go on in this world. Questions of all kinds of things. If you haven't actually wrestled with it, you're setting yourself up for maybe some unhealthy deconstruction when someone with a couple good questions comes along. Uh, a third one that I, that I wrote down was knowledge without experience. Hey, you can have a bunch of knowledge, but if you haven't lived a bunch of life, sometimes you're setting yourself up for some unhealthy deconstruction. Mm -hmm. And experience is good and helpful because you can begin to have theology in your brain, but until it's worked out into your life, into the lives of other people, you may be setting yourself up for some failure. And then knowledge without community, because it's not just your experience that matters. You're gonna come into contact with people that have gone through some stuff and they're gonna ask some really hard questions. You're gonna come into contact with people who live their life completely contrary to the teachings of the Bible or the teachings of Jesus. And they're gonna say, my way's working pretty good. What do you have and why does it matter? Why should I listen to what you have to say? And so when you wrestle well, when you are actually building, you know, with elbow grease, the bricks into the house, when you're going through experiences of life and when you're living life in community, I think your building is going to be more secure and, and you're going to hopefully be able to do, you know, the healthy good deconstruction of really trying to wrestle with, wait, why do I think that? Wait, why do I believe that? Why is that actually good? Why is that beautiful? Wait, why does Jesus matter? And really working through that, you're, you're going to come to a more secure place. Um, and you know, the big bad wolf with the big lung capacity is going to have no effect on you. Those are some thoughts that I had. Mm. That was helpful. Yeah thought I would add. <clears throat> so in, in deconstruction, there's really two questions that are, are asked uh, fundamentally. Um, and it's, is Christianity true? And is Christianity good? And uh, typically, it's the experience of um, if hurt that leads to the question of, is it true? So if something bad happens to me, uh, maybe a traumatic experience, I was betrayed, I was hurt by my uh, church authority or by the community of faith that excluded me or didn't welcome me in for, for whatever reason. And because of that experience, Christianity doesn't feel good. And so that then leads me to the next question. Christianity doesn't, doesn't feel true because it doesn't feel good. Um, and so a lot of deconstruction that leads to deconversion stories is um, I was really hurt. So man, and it's almost throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So man, Christianity must be not what I thought it was. And so I'm going to leave the faith. I'm going to uh, have my questions, uh, but answer, have those answered outside of the community of faith. Um, and, and typically that is a in my experience, a usual testimony of those who deconstruct. I was hurt. Mm -hmm. And then I question the truth outside of the community of faith, mm -hmm. uh, honestly, and, and hopefully mm -hmm. almost throwing the baby out with the bathwater kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. yeah. That's that. If there's one, so when I, when I was doing my counseling program, it, we did it from a Christian worldview, but you would always, 
um, you'd have to speak in the language of therapy because that's just that's what people would come into the clinic for. But the one thing that I wrestled with was often when people would talk about being hurt, not just like in the church, right? But like being hurt by somebody, there was always this overly therapeutic language of, okay, then there's a need for, uh, and not that these things are bad in themselves, like, but boundaries, um, you know, like you, you, there's, you can't heal if you're with them. So you have to like cut them out. So like, it was always this quick move from um, tr- truly t- to viewing yourself as the victim and, and then operating out of that, that space. Now, I think that sometimes from, from what I've experienced or seen within, within churchdom here, within Christianity is when we've been hurt by the church or hurt by somebody in the church, there's this quickness, I think, to simply discard those people, discard as, as opposed to being willing to, to wrestle because it's, it doesn't feel good. And we're, we're given so many avenues out from actually doing the wrestling mm-hmm. with. But like, I don't know there's any relationship that I know that doesn't require wrestling. Mm-hmm. Like, like even think about my marriage I'm not always a good husband. Sometimes I'm a butthead. And Rachel has to tell me, Caesar, you're being a butthead. Now imagine she'd tell me a butthead and be like, excuse me? You're lucky, right? Like, like un- unwilling to have the wrestle or the, the humility sometimes to be like, maybe I did contribute something to this. But there's a, there's a wrestle to it. But I do want to speak to the reality of uh, for a moment, because so I think not only is deconstruction a popular word, but the conversation around church hurt is a popular conversation because it's usually what sometimes people lean on for reasons why they've deconver- deconverted. What is it do you think about abuse that, not even what it is about abuse, how do we honor the fact that someone's been hurt in such a destructive way, honor them and yet still call them to come back to a place that's attached with so much pain. How, can, how can, should we do that? Is that right to do that? Is there a different way? That wasn't a question that I, I sent you guys, so I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great question. <laughs> no, that's a great question. Um, so I'm just thinking pastorally, or just even as a Christian, if I have a friend who's been hurt by a particular community of people, and a lot of abuse tends to, well, one, just practically, I would do a lot of listening. Um, you know, what happened and... Um, and get into their to their emotions. I really want to listen and care and be present and not give them a lot of uh, quick theological like things that are going to quiet them. Like I think it was really powerful of Jesus in John chapter 11 when Mary and Martha are weeping over losing their brother Lazarus. Jesus, who has all the answers um, over the hurt and grief that Mary and Martha feel, it just says, I think in verse 35, um, he says that he just, Jesus weeps. He just weeps. He doesn't give them a lot of answers. So he's just present with them. Um, and then there are, there are um, claimed churches that are genuinely toxic environments. There are hyper-fundamentalist, hyper-legalistic, uh, hyper-high-performance uh, Christianity uh, churches that I would never encourage uh, a brother or sister, someone who genuinely knows Jesus, to go back and to um, be a part of, of that community. Um, there are lots of churches like that. And most churches like that are aired all over social media. And so usually someone who deconstructs and they're going to look for comfort in the deconstruction community are hearing about all these churches that are being blasted um, that are probably rightfully so uh, for being a abusive kind of community. But there are lots of good, healthy churches that are faithfully pursuing Jesus and making him known, maybe not perfectly, uh, but that are really good places to experience hope and healing. Um, Like I genuinely consider 
like I'm new to Mosaic, so I, I, I think I'm speaking unbiasedly, but I think Mosaic is a good, healthy church, not perfect. We can experience hurt here, but this is a safe place, I think, to freely um, experience healing. Um, and so, yeah, I, and we all in our hurt want some kind of refuge, hmm. some kind of savior to rescue us out of our hurt. Um, and so no matter what, you are going to pursue a savior, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would encourage you towards a community that's going to put, point you to the only savior that can rescue you and be a strong refuge uh, for you in your hurt. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, and if that's you, just practically, if you're, you're hurt right now and maybe you're a part of a different church, um, we can maybe ask some questions about your church to, to help you discern whether or not that's a healthy church that you should continue uh, to be a part of. There are lots of good churches in the area, but there's also probably a lot of bad churches in the area as well, unfortunately, so. Hmm. Yeah, another thing, I was, I was just reading um, this, this guy who's, he's a neurobiologist and he was just talking about what actually heals trauma and that trauma can't be healed outside of community. Hmm. And a lot of what happens in deconstruction is it's done alone. Uh, and, and alone, is, it's just a dangerous place just in general. Um, there are spaces that are unhealthy and unhelpful for you to be a part of, even ones that are called Christian. Um, and so I would say that if you have experienced hurt, community is still important. Perhaps in certain scenarios, going back to that community where you were hurt might not be the answer. Sometimes it is because reconciliation is good, but if it's unsafe, if you can't heal, there are other Christian communities where you can experience that. Um, Trauma, shame, it's all healed within uh, godly community. So I would just encourage you to to seek that out. Hmm. Thanks. And so... Before we continue, I, I just want to take a moment to just for you to hear this. If if you've been part of a church, um, if you've experienced it even here, um, or wherever you might have experienced abuse, genuine abuse, um, in a covenant family, um, you're not first. You're not crazy. You're not dramatic. Um, we would encourage you to go find help to come ask for help. We'd love to walk alongside you. Um, and we'd even encourage, I mean, I would, and so I don't, I, I don't wanna speak for, for, for them, but I, I would say it, it's okay to leave a space where there's been genuine abuse. And when I say genuine abuse, I, I don't mean just disagreement. Because I think because abuse is such a, a, a popular word, almost everything gets attached to it. Like, uh, you know, they, they didn't, there was a difference in, in doctrine, like, uh, you know, that there, you know, I'm sleeping with my boy, like, truly, like, I've had this conversation where, like, I'm sleeping with my partner outside of marriage, and they called me out on it, and I felt so hurt, and they called that abuse. If there's things that we do that are contrary to God's word, and some, and a brother and sister calls out on it, it's not, it's, it's not abuse. It may be that they said it in a not great tone and maybe in not in the most loving of ways. But we don't want to sacrifice truth, but we don't want to sacrifice love. And so every response should be done in truth and in love. But if you're getting a bunch of truth with no love, that, that probably will lead to some form of abuse. And if you do a lot of love without truth, that is a form of abuse in and of itself. And so the Christian community is about coming under the banner of Jesus, loving one another enough to tell each other the truth in love. And so just, just hear, I just want you to hear that in, in, in care and in, in firmness. Truth is not wrong. Love's not wrong. But if either one of them are out of place, it, it can lead down to a slippery slope for, for you and your walk. Um, so, what are some potential dangers or pitfalls of the deconstruction process? Because it isn't like there's a one-to-one ratio that if you do go down a deconstruction path, then automatically you'll not be a Christian. But what are some 
some questions to ask along the way? What are some thoughts that they should have along the way? What, what are some practices that they can do along the way that can, make, that can take a bad deconstruction towards a good one? Um, I just want you all to hear and encourage you that if you have questions and you have doubts, that is okay. It does not mean that you are down the slippery slope of deconstruction and it is like mm. the end for you. Like it is normal. And I think that the, it might be one of the questions we talk on later, like how the church can help. But I think that sometimes we attach having doubts and questions to, and putting shame on it. Like we can't share those then mm. because then we're not a good Christian or we don't have it all together or how dare us like mm. question God or like, I don't understand what that says, Lord, like, and we don't want to share that. And so then that leads us to what Brady was talking about, like not being in community. And so then we take all those questions and then it builds and it builds and it eats away at us. And then it can lead you into this lonely path where you're following farther away from Jesus when really he wants you to bring those questions and he wants you to be in community. He wants us to talk about those things. So, I mean, you can look all through scripture. It's not like God's not, uh, hasn't, this is, you're not gonna shock him with what you, your mm. questions. Like it's the Israelites, it's them being like, why God, like, where are you? You know, you left us, we have no food. It's, you know, we're gonna get into it. It's Thomas doubting, you know, and, and then we, we get scared that we have questions and, or that it's taking a while for us to get there. But we're gonna see next week when Caesar's talking, like Jesus didn't show up to Thomas for eight days to mm. show him, you know, and he, so he left him in there. So there's, it's okay that it's a process and mm. it's a journey, mm. but do that in community with yeah. people in the church that love and care for you, leaders, friends that will support you and li listen and create a safe space and keep pointing you back to Jesus. Mm. No, I, I love that you said that because just, just thinking about that right before Jesus meets Thomas, even though they're, they're, he's not, he doesn't meet them for a couple of days, where does Jesus find them? He finds his disciples together wrestling it out like what they're, they're, they didn't go alone they, 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 all they had at the end of the day was, was one another and I think that's such an important thing like when, when there are questions of doubt and fear now I want to be forthcoming and I, for myself um, this area of doubt and fear is, my, is this is my spiritual warfare like this is where I this is where the enemy personally has played with my heart and mind for years. Right? Like I have doubted my salvation more times than I'd like to admit. Like it, it gets, sometimes it gets to the point where it's like, if I sin and I know I'm sin, I feel conviction of sin. Or sometimes I know I'll sin and I don't feel bad about it. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't feel bad about my sin. Am I saved? Cause I thought, I thought I'm supposed to feel bad about it. And if I don't feel bad about it, that must, that must mean the Holy Spirit hasn't convicted me. And so therefore, and, and then that's where the enemy starts going, you see, you're never safe to begin with. And there's these questions and these doubts and those fears. And, and because of the frequency of it happens, it, sometimes for me, it's like, is there a limit to how many times I can ask the same question of Jesus before he gets tired of answering the question? And so I... I what has girded me, what has protected me is having guys in my life. Uh, Caleb and Obi are on speed dial for me. And it's about anything. It's about, hey, my wife is not here this week and I don't want to fall into sexual temptation. And I'm, I don't trust myself. Can you pray for me? Can you, can you come sleep over my house? Like, like an excuse to have a slumber party because I, I, I want to I, I live righteously. Or because I, I, I doubt or worry that I don't have the, the strength or ability through the spirit to do that. Or, hey guys, I, I, I don't feel bad about my sin this week. Or, or man, community can, honestly can save in a lot of ways your, your faith and can protect it from lies and destruction. And so, um, 
yeah, I just want I just wanted to share that story just because I didn't want you guys to feel like like we're just talking about doubt and fear, like there's some concepts out there, like we don't face it, but like it is it is my frequent reality, um, and something that protects me is is my community. Yeah, I, I love God's disposition towards those who doubt. So Thomas has a nickname. Anybody know what his nickname is? See. That's the nickname we've given him. He actually had a nickname and that's not, it's not Doubting Thomas, although we call him Doubting Thomas. But John wrote his gospel probably 30 or 40 years after this incident. And he tells us specifically that Thomas had a nickname and it was the twin. And, and the reason to me that's significant is because like the main thing that we know about Thomas through the gospels in John's gospel is that he doubted when all of his friends believed. And yet John was very clear, led by the spirit that that's not his identity. That's not how God saw him. That's not how Jesus saw him. In fact, Jesus came to him in his doubt and he didn't reprimand him. He didn't get mad at him. Same thing with Adam and Eve. Like they doubted God's goodness and God came down and they were afraid of what God might do now that they failed and they hid and God is like, hey, where are you? It's like that, that song by Stephanie Gretzinger, come out of hiding, you're safe here with me. You know, God is continually inviting us out of our hiding, out of our darkness into the light, saying this is a safe place to wrestle. It's a safe place to question. One of my favorite things that someone told me about prayer is prayer is not the place to be good, it's the place to be honest. Hmm. That God already knows. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you did. He knows when you're angry with him. He knows when you're doubting him, when you're frustrated with him. He knows when you're living in sin. So it's not gonna shock him. And you're like, okay, God, I'm, I'm a little kind of sort of angry with you. <gasps> what? He's like, well, yeah, I, I know. It's okay. I'm here. Come on, let, let's hash it out. God's disposition toward us in our doubt and even in, in our sin, in our rebellion is just compassion and running to us with his arms open before we even confess like the father in the parable of the prodigal son. It's beautiful. Hmm. So God is not who you need to be afraid of and hide from when you're doubting, when you're deconstructing. He's the one who you can do that with along with his community. That's where I would say like, that's the biggest pitfall I think is to think that God is not big enough and gracious enough and compassionate enough to carry us in our questions and our doubting. Um, scripture goes to great lengths to show us that God is not limited or, or bound by um, our questions or our doubts. There is no question that um, he's not big enough to uphold. Fear not for I am your God. Do not be dismayed for I will uphold you with my righteous right hand and I will strengthen you. He will, he can uphold you. Um, and so, yeah, amen. That's good. Hmm. Hmm. And so how do we as a church, right? So we talk about community. And if there's someone in our community, if there's someone that we know, um, how do we as a church, how do we as a community healthily come alongside uh, come alongside somebody who is in the process of deconstruction. Because there have been people in our community who um, no longer come back because they don't feel like this is a place for them to hash those questions out. And so how can we do this better? How can we more healthily come alongside someone and say, we, we, how can we be a safe place for the questions? I think it's helpful to listen. Um, so John 1, 19 is a helpful instruction. Be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. Um, I think a lot of us are really quick to speak and slow to listen. Um, and I think we push people away. Jude, um, somewhere in Jude, uh, it's only one chapter, but it basically says, be merciful to those who doubt. Mm. Um, and I think that's very instructive. But I think what's, what's helpful for me is a lot of times people who are deconstructing in a, in a negative way, um, maybe using intellectual arguments away um, from Christianity, but 
if you take time to listen and you get down to the heart, typically it's not about intellectual things. Um, the Bible says that the, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. Um, and so usually there is something heart level there behind um, the resistance. Um, and so I, I wanna discern, are you genuinely humbly wanting to seek God and I'm struggling, help me. Uh, that's, one, that's one place. Uh, but then there's also a, a cynical, um, almost rebellious, prideful, arrogant, I don't want there to be a God and I'm going to use these questions. Um, and so it's, it's helpful to discern where's your heart in, behind all the questions. Uh, they may not be in a humble, hopeful place. They may be in a more, uh, I don't want there to be a God because I, I want my sin. You know, I want, I want life to be what I want it to be. So I would say prayerfully ask the spirit to help discern the heart and, and be present with that heart wherever it is. Mm-hmm. I wanted to share a story with you guys. I, um, one of my kids is a questioner. She questions everything. Um, and it's surprising because she is the one that's like lost in a playland of stuffed animals and wonder. <laughs> but then, you know, we'll be reading the Bible together and having great discussion. And she's like, my mom, you know, and, I, and you know, we, she'll be like, but if Jonah knew that Nineveh was bad and he didn't want to go there, then maybe he made the right choice. You know, it's like these <laughs> questions and you're like, oh, okay. You know, and at first it was bothering, to just be completely honest, it was, it bothered me. You know, I, I was like, oh, how does she, like, why does she see it that way? Or, you know, and I, I realized that I was full, it, would, it created fear in me. Um, mm. And so I think that, as we have people in our life that might start questioning, that might be a tendency for us to, to feel fear, you know? And I think that that isn't what God wants because he said in Jude to have mercy for those who doubt. And so, and he doesn't call us to fear. And so, you know, I, I confessed that to Lee one day. I told her like, I have a kid that's questioning everything and I don't know what to do. Um, and it, it was, I was wondering, why do I feel scared? Why does that bring fear in me? One, because I was nervous. It was a pride that I wouldn't have the right answer for her, like my 10-year-old, and I'm an adult. Or, you know, was I fearful that these questions were going to lead her away from God? And I, my heart for her so much is that she knows God. And so... I just started praying and confessing that to the Lord and he gave me a new vision for her and her questions that, um, and I kind of feel like it was related even to Brady's house uh, reference with different straws, but like our questions make us stronger. Like when we're walking alongside the Lord and we're questioning beside him and allowing him to speak into us and, and my role is just to keep pointing her to Jesus and loving her and listening and creating a space for her to ask these questions. What I'm praying is that the Lord takes those questions and he grows roots that are so deep for her that anything that comes in this world, any cultural thing, any new trend, she can't be knocked over because Hmm. she's questioned it all already and she's only found the only thing true is Jesus. And so I, as a friend, as maybe it's your sister, your brother, your parents, whoever, who have questions, love them. Let them share those questions. Don't meet it with fear or, or anger. And that's hard, but pray that the spirit would move through you, that it's up to him anyways. You know, we may not have the right answer and that's okay, mm. but God is gonna do big and mighty things through that, through that space of love and care. And who knows what God's story is for them. It may not be today that they turn back. It may not be tomorrow. It might be when they're 90, but God knows and he will use that. Um, and he's so kind. I want to share this part of the story because it's just so cool. Um, I didn't, I hadn't shared that with a friend or anything. It was just something that we were, I was personally walking through and I got a text from a friend a few weeks later and she said, I had the craziest dream about my daughter. Um, and I was like, cool, what was it? And she was like, it was so out of her character. And I was like, really? And she was like, I had a dream that she was an amazing apologist and she was, <laughs> and she was sharing the gospel with people. And I was like, I was just like bawling. And I was like, I don't know if that's going to be 
her, but it was like this reminder that God will use her in whatever way mm-hmm. he sees fit for, for her. And it was such an encouragement. Mm-hmm. I guess next question. I don't know how you followed up for that. Um, I do love that. Um, with the time that we have left, um, just to kind of summarize some things for us and then just ask one last question. Uh, you know, Brady, earlier you were just talking about building a house of bricks. And that takes time, requires effort, and just kind of reminded me of, you know, Jesus in, in Matthew talking about building their house on, on, on rock, not on sand. But, but even that, like, that requires planning, effort, just, just work to be done. And, and I've grown really sympathetic to, to those who are in that process of deconstruction because they, they are putting work into it. They, they really are trying to pursue truth. They're, they're aiming, their goal is to find a truth on the other end. Um, What is the, how do we help people remember? How can we ourselves remember? Uh, I don't even know how to ask the question because I feel like I know the answer, but like, <laughs> it, it, it seems like the, the, the end goal of deconstruction is not deconstruction itself. Because if the end goal of deconstruction is just to deconstruct, then like Legos, you just have a bunch of Lego blocks on the ground. What, what would you say is the goal if, we were, if any of us were to embark on this thing called deconstruction? What, what would you want them to know as the hope for them in that process? So one of my favorite images of, of what God desires for us comes throughout the Old Testament. And one of the phrases that's used over and over again to hold up someone either achieving or coming close to what God desires for them is that that person walked with God. Um, When I was in Illinois, my wife and I started going on walks together and we lived in this really cool neighborhood where there was hills um, and there was these gigantic trees and, and there were four seasons. And in the fall, the leaves would slowly change color. And every week I'd have a new favorite tree because they, they'd go in phases. And then in the spring, the trees would flower and I'd have a new favorite tree. And we just would go on walks together. And sometimes we'd talk Sometimes we wouldn't say much. Sometimes we just, be, you know, our dog would just be pulling us along, uh, which is shocking because she's eight pounds. <laughs> but we just were with one another. And what you see is Moses walked with God and Noah walked with God. And this is it, held up as this is what you should do because this is what God created you for. And you have this, this small sentence about a guy named Enoch. And it said, he walked with God for X number of years and then God took him. And it's this picture that, that they just had this, such this deep, rich, intimate relationship that God was just like, hey, come, come on, let's just, let's just be together always. Which you then look back on the story of Adam and Eve where they have just rebelled against God and they've hidden from God and God comes down for his morning walk with them. I think that's the picture that we should see and they're hiding. And we have this opportunity to be with God, to walk with God, to journey with God. And that's the point. It's not the destination of where we might get to one day. It's that we are walking with God right now. It's the present active participle. It's the being with God now coming toward God now, looking at Jesus now, returning to Jesus now. It's the, the, the now action of with-godness that God is looking for with us. And we can do that as we sing songs on Sunday. And we can do that as we read our Bible on Thursday. We can do that as we're in community here, but we can also do that in our questioning and in our doubt 
and in our frustration and in our pain and in our sorrow and our sadness and our loneliness and our frustration. Like we can be with God and walk with God in all of that. And I think that's the goal. Jesus called it abiding in the vine. Paul calls it sowing to the spirit. And in the Old Testament, it was called walking with God. And so if I were to tell you what the goal of the human life is, is that we were designed to walk with God, yeah. to be with God in every instance of emotion and thought and, and the situation and scenario of life. Yeah. Thanks, Brady. I think of uh, John chapter six, um, Jesus gave a very interesting kind of sermon. Um, it wasn't a sermon that uh, you would ever typically hear on a Sunday morning. Jesus basically tells everyone after uh, feeding the 5,000, he basically tells them, all right, now if you're gonna follow me, you have to eat me. <laughs> and uh, everyone bounces, like, <laughs> like thousands of people are like, nope, that's it for me and I'm out. Um, and then standing there after thousands of people leave into John chapter six, verse 66, uh, Peter's just standing there. And then Jesus tells him, aren't you gonna go too? So all this deconstruction happens, all this deconversion happens. These uh, claimed followers walk away and then uh, Peter says, where else can I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Um, so I think about, you know, when people deconstruct into like a deconversion, um, either way, it's inevitable. You're going to build and construct a, a worldview. Um, you can't be worldviewless. Uh, you will have a theology. You will have a belief about God and the world and yourself. And it's important to ask yourself, um, does that worldview bring life? Like, do you have a ground for morality? What's, what's good and what's evil or shoulds? Do you have a ground for why you have purpose, why you have value, why you have dig dignity? Like when we say we should go down the street and care for the poor and the homeless and treat them with dignity, what, what, does your worldview uphold that view? Why? Why should we do that? Why should we be kind? Where does that come from? If we want hope and suffering, where does your hope come from? Right? So when I, when I think about deconversion, I, and I have questions too, but at the end of the day, as I think about all the other places that I could go, all I can do is at the, at the end of my questioning is, Jesus, you alone have the words of eternal life. Where else can I go? Hmm. Um, so that's, uh, that's been helpful for me. One last thing that's been just super helpful for me is that there, there, I have questions. And, and when, when I'm not yet at an answer, what I come back to is the core foundational reality um, is that God is good. Hmm. And I know that because I know Jesus. So I go back to Jesus because he is the most epic display of God. In fact, it says all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus, that he is the exact representation of his being. And that there is, there's no picture of goodness like Jesus. Um, and so when I have questions that I don't know the answer to, that I'm a little bit nervous about, I just start with what I know to be true that God is like Jesus and Jesus is good. And that whatever happens, whatever answer I come to, even if the answer I'm nervous, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a bad answer. I know that one day, right now I only know in part, right, right now I only see in a mirror dimly. One day I'll, I'll, see, I'll see face to face. One day I'll know fully. And when I know fully, right, when I'm face to face with Jesus and I know fully, whatever the answer is, I will look back and I'll say, whoa, that was good. I, had no, I thought it was bad, but now that I know fully, whoa, that was really good. Why you did it the way that you did it and why you allowed what you allowed. I, at the time, I, I couldn't grasp it and I was frustrated and I was confused and I was hurt. But man, now that I know, now I see the full picture and all that you were doing in it, all that you've done through it, wow, that was good. 
And so for me, as I wrestle with the questions that I'm afraid where the answer is going to go, I just know that I might right now think it's bad. I might right now think it's silly or foolish or confusing or frustrating. But one day, I won't. Mm. And because I know Jesus, because I know what Jesus is like, because I know what Jesus is like, I know what God is like, and I know that he's good. Mm. Better than I even know good. And one day I'll realize it. And that helps me when I'm in those moments of wrestle. Thanks for that, Brady. Just want to leave us all as we finish this tonight. Um, just some of the last words that John wrote in his gospel. Uh, speaking about the book of John, but this can apply to all of scripture. It said, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He's not hiding. He's not gatekeeping. He wants you to ask questions and he wants to give you answers. And he wants you not just to believe that he is the Christ, that he is the savior, but he wants actual life for you. So he's not gonna just dangle it in front of you and say, well, that sucks, sorry. He wants you to ask questions because he wants to do life with you, to be with you. I don't think anybody here would object to experiencing life, would you? So as we finish here, I'm just gonna do something different. Um, I'm just gonna ask you to bow your heads for a moment. I'm just gonna pray. Um, and I'm gonna ask if anybody's here, no one's looking, don't worry. But if you are here and you whether or not you wanna attach yourself to the terminology that is deconstruction. Uh, but if you are here and you are struggling with your faith, if you are questioning your salvation, if you're questioning the goodness of God, if you feel he is distant, if you're even just wondering if he even exists, that's okay. I, I would just ask that you would Raise your hand for a moment. No one's looking. Just raise your hand. God sees it. And so if, that, if you're not one of those people, I'm just gonna ask you, we're gonna pray for the, for the few hands that, that were raised or for however many hands were raised. We're a community of God's people who believe in prayer. So because prayer is a command from God, we can pray fervently and know that he, he will show up in the midst of it. Father, we ask in, in, in faith tonight that you would meet those of us who, are, who are, have so many questions, who in some ways are fearful of the answer they'll get on the other end of the question. But God, I ask that you would strongly, passionately, fervently reveal exactly who you are. That there is no fear to be found at the other end of the question. That at the other end of the question is a God that they still cannot fully comprehend because your goodness cannot be captured in words. Your mercy and grace cannot be captured by our human minds. You, you far surpass any human understanding you're greater than we know. You're more good than we can imagine. And your love is far grander than anything we could even muster up in our own hearts. So God, will we come to you not afraid, just being reminded that it is the object of our faith that is great. That even in our moments of weak faith, <laughs> our God is still strong and good. We have the same access to the still same strong God. So Lord, make this community a community of faith. One who is grounded in your works, grounded in your sovereign rule, grounded in you, Lord. And just for a moment thinking of just Jen's daughter. <laughs> May she someday become a distributor of truth 
whether it be as an apologist or just as a girl who loves stuffed animals, but she just tells people that truth is more than a concept. Truth is a person named Jesus. And that truth will set people free. Lord, we love you. Thankful for these hard questions. But would you take this information and, and move it down into our hearts, into our spirit? For we're more than a community of knowledge. We wanna be a people of transformation. So transform us, change us, move us closer to you. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you wanna hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.